0: the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1, I appreciate you being with us this morning, and what a blessing it is to be with the church family, to be sure, and many Sundays I'll look around, and I'll try to put myself in your shoes for just a few moments, and try to think about what kind of week you've had, I hope you've had a good week, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, you've had some some good things happen to you this week, and truthfully, I say it often, but... The fact that you're here this morning is a testimony to the grace and goodness of God in your life. And, uh, you know, God didn't have to wake us up this morning. <laughs> he could have let us all sleep. And uh, <clears throat> some of you are thinking, I wish you'd let me sleep a little bit longer. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, but seriously, uh, we take so much for granted, don't we? And uh, count your blessings, name them one by one. We sang a little while ago, but it's so true. And I hope that you're grateful this morning for what God has done and is doing in your life. Stand with me, please. Ruth chapter number 1, and we'll read a few verses here at the beginning of a very unusual book (coughs) in your Bible. The Bible tells us as we begin reading in verse number 1 of Ruth chapter 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons... And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan, or Malan, depending on your pronunciation, and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years and Malan and Chilion died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Talking about Naomi there. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Very unusual story. We're only going to, to focus on the first part of the story of Naomi. And the title of the message is simply this what to do when the famine comes what to do in the famine and let's pray together our father we ask your blessings now upon this message this truth from your word truth is famines come in all of our lives there's going to be a time when uh, times are hard things are difficult and uh, times are lean so to speak and father how we react is very important when the famine does come to our own life some of us are in a spiritual famine. Uh, things aren't what they used to be. Our relationship to you is not what it used to be or what it could be again. Father, help us to make good decisions, especially in a time when we're tempted to make a poor decision. I pray that you'd help us to learn and to glean from the truth of your word today. I pray once again, Father, that your Holy Spirit would help me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The story contained in the book of Ruth uh, takes place, the Bible tells us there in verse 1, during the time of the Judges. In fact, uh, uh, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> if you know anything about the book of Judges, you know that that time period in the nation of Israel, hundreds of years I might add, uh, was a time of ups and downs for God's people spiritually. Uh, there was, um, the Bible says, during the time of Judges, there was no king in Israel, and therefore everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. It was a very chaotic time. A time of uh, you could almost describe it as anarchy uh, where nobody knew who was in charge because really uh, there were times when no one was in charge and uh, God's people would go into a time of oppression from an enemy and then God would raise up a judge to kind of take the reins of leadership and lead his people uh, to repentance and then to uh, deliverance from that opposition or that oppression and and so that's the backdrop of the story of Ruth, that we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. And it's the story of how God took a tragedy and turned it into triumph. And by the way, God's really good at that. God's excellent at taking a time of tragedy and turning it into a great victory, a great triumph. But the key to that is we have to be patient during the times of tragedy. We have to be patient during the times of uh, 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 the downturn, if you will, the famine, as was the case here, to give God a chance and see how God's going to work everything out for His honor and His glory. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love Him. To them who are the called according to his purpose. If you're saved here this morning, and in fact, do me a favor. Would you just raise your hand if you if you know you're saved? You know you're going to heaven. What's well, a wonderful testimony. Uh, you can put your hand down. Isn't it good to, to, uh, to be able to raise your hand to, to the question, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? That's a wonderful thing. Now, if you're saved, God said he's working everything out according to his glory and for you to see ultimate victory in your life. That's a wonderful thing. Now, uh, getting back to, to uh, the story here, Ruth, who the, the book, of course, is named uh, for Ruth, she was a Moabite woman, and she would later become the great-grandmother of King David. That's, a, that's an amazing thing by itself. Uh, Ruth was from a heathen country, and she would become, later on, generations from then, the great-grandmother of the man who would be the, one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king in the history of the nation of Israel, King David. What a wonderful thing god took a bad thing and made it a good thing god took a tragedy and made it into triumph at the beginning of the story however we see a family of four who lived in the town of bethlehem in judah and of course this would be some 1300 years before jesus would be born in that same town of bethlehem and the man's name was elimelech and his wife's name was naomi now, Elimelech and Naomi, they were a family of four. They had two sons. Uh, the Bible gives us their name, uh, Malan or Malan, and Chilian. So you got Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons living there in Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that a famine came in the land of Judah. Now, we don't know exactly the reason why the famine came. Most of the time, famines come because of a, uh, something that's totally out of man's control, usually it's drought conditions. Uh, are what usually calls famines but it could be that this famine was caused by the the Midianites who pillaged the uh, the land of Judah and uh, and burned all their crops and left them destitute and so this could have been a famine that was made by uh, man-made means we're not sure what the cause either way the Bible says the famine was grievous in the land of Bethlehem Judah And so, uh, by the way, ironically enough, the word Bethlehem, the the name Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't that ironic? That the famine came to a place that was called the house of bread. So, as the famine made life difficult for Elimelech and his family, Elimelech decided to leave Bethlehem and to go to Moab. He heard that the economy was good in Moab. There was no famine in Moab. There was plenty of food, and there was no recession to worry about due to the famine in Moab. Problem was, Bethlehem is where they were supposed to be. By the way, let me say this. Where God leads, he feeds. And where God guides, he provides. God's not going to lead you somewhere where he can't take care of you. Boy, God's good to us. I said a while ago, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, and God will never leave his children destitute. By the way, Elimelech should have taken a hint from his neighbors. They didn't leave. He had neighbors who stuck it out there in Bethlehem. Uh, He had co-workers, no doubt, who stuck it out there in Bethlehem. No doubt he had family members who stuck it out there in Bethlehem, but for whatever reason, Elimelech felt compelled to take his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malan and Chilion, and leave the house of bread, Bethlehem, to go to a place called Moab. But by the way, Moab, uh, maybe the economy was good there, but the culture was not. You see, Moab was a heathen land. Moab, the word Moab means God's washpot. Moab served false gods. Moab was a bad environment for his kids to come up in. Moab was a place that was not conducive uh, to bringing up his family in a godly atmosphere. But yet Elimelech, because of an economic decision, an economic downturn in Bethlehem, decided he was going to leave and go to Moab. Mind you, they didn't intend to stay long. In fact, look with me, if you will, back at verse number one, Ruth chapter one and verse one, it says, uh down uh toward the latter part of the verse, it said, uh it said, uh, I'm sorry, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, the word sojourn means to stay for a little while. He didn't intend to stay long. He didn't intend to put his roots down in Moab he didn't intend to uh to live there over the long haul his thinking was I'm going to go over to Moab I'm going to stay just long enough to get myself financially secure again and then I'll go back home to Bethlehem now I'm sure he had good intentions but by the way that's a wonderful picture of uh, of how sin deceives all of us sin will keep you longer than you intend to stay my friend I promise you that when you get outside the will of God for your life and you start messing around with things you got no business messing around with and you start doing things you thought you'd never do, hey, the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will, it'll will take you farther than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. I'll promise you that. The plan was just to stay a little while, just long enough for the famine to subside, just long enough for the crisis to pass. But may I remind all of us this morning of the importance of one decision that may seem to be a small decision. You see, I'm also reminded of this this morning, choices have consequences. When we make a decision, there are ramifications, there are consequences that we are going to face, good or bad, based on the the choice that we make. I think about Abraham in the Bible. Abraham made one choice that is still causing grave consequences in our world today we're talking about a decision that was made thousands of years ago thousands of years ago uh, Abraham, who, uh, on that excursion that, 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 uh, uh, that, where he went down to Egypt because, again, of a famine, and, uh, he went down to Egypt, uh, against the will of God, against the wishes of God, and what happened? He brought back Hagar. Hagar, who later rebirthed a son by Abraham, and that son's name was Ishmael, and that same Ishmael fathered the race of Arab nations that have battled God's people for centuries. Where did it start, Pastor? One decision. One crucial decision. Critical, And by the way, at the time, it didn't seem like a big deal. When Abraham made that choice to go to Egypt, when Elimelech made that choice to go to Moab, it didn't seem like such a big deal, but it was. Well, we've got to be careful. We've got to be so careful that we make choices based on what God desires, not what we want. As you read the narrative of the rest of the book of Ruth, you see that God took a tragic situation and made something wonderful out of it. But the message this morning is this, what to do in the famine. What should Elimelech have done? If he should not have gone to Moab, what should he have done? What should have been his thought processes when he was tempted to uproot his family, take them out of the will of God and uh, and go over to Moab. Elimelech and Naomi made a bad decision in a time of distress. By the way, that's uh that's tough right there. You got to be careful about making decisions when your decision maker's broken, Brother Howes used to say. You've got to be careful about making a big decision in a time when you're emotionally distressed or things are bad. Look, you've got to be so careful that our decisions are based on biblical principles. Well, we ought to base every decision in life based on, thus saith the Lord. What does God think about it? How is this going to affect uh, those that are, are near and dear to me? We'll get to that here in just a moment. But that's the foundation of the message. Obviously, Elimelech and Naomi could not prevent the famine. But they did have control over how they reacted to the famine. There's going to be things happening in your life, my friend, that you've got absolutely zero control over. None. Last uh, last uh, Saturday night, we're driving through the uh, through uh, northern Ohio down the turnpike, and all of a sudden the battery light comes on. Not a good sign. At nine o'clock on Saturday night, we're on the side of uh, the Ohio Turnpike, or I-77. We managed to get off the turnpike, but uh, the car died right there. The alternator went out, and uh, you know what? <clears throat> Boy, I'm, I'm I'm making phone calls. I'm calling everybody that I know in Ohio, which is not very many people at all <laughs> in that neck of the woods. And uh, there's a, a pastor friend of mine who pastors in Chesterfield, Virginia, who has a good friend who pastors in Illyria, Ohio. I called him. I said, Brother Talley, I said, do you have a church bus mechanic? Uh, nearby. And he said, well, no, not really. I said, do you know anything about, uh, uh, <clears throat> is there any, do you know how I can get an alternator at, at 9.30 on Saturday night? <laughs> and he said, no, not really. And, uh, and boy, God worked that thing out. And, and, uh, our sons were able to get to AutoZone just in time to get the last alternator, uh, alternator that they had to fit our, our van. And, uh, God worked everything out, including a mechanic at midnight on Saturday night. You don't find those very often, but anyway. <clears throat> but you know what? Uh, I looked at my wife and I said, How in the world am I going to get to church in the morning? She said, She said, Honey, there's some things you just can't help. You know what? There are some things that happen in your life you got no control over. You got no control over it. Hey, when that when that phone call comes and the doctor has bad news, you, you don't have control over that. When that accident happens, when uh when that, that changes your life, look, there are things that happen, things that come along down the road of life that we have zero control over. But wait a minute what we do have control over is how we react how we respond when the famine comes in our life and that's what i want to talk to you about this morning what should our response be to the famine how should i react in the famine number one i want to share this with you from the story number one stay in the will of god stay in the will of god Bethlehem, the house of bread. Moab meant God's washpot. Hey, sounds like an easy choice as to what God's preference might be between Bethlehem versus Moab. It seemed to be that God would rather me be in a place that He is going, has blessed before and will bless again other than some heathen nation to bring up my family. Hey, I'm, I'm simply saying God has a will in that. And we ought to seek His will when it comes to times of distress in our life. So many times we'll make a knee-jerk decision based on bad circumstances. And by the way, a lot of times knee-jerk reactions are not the right reaction. Understand we have a sinful nature. <laughs> and we need to seek the mind of God about it. Seek the mind of Christ about it. You say, preacher, it was a famine. It was a famine. What did you expect Elimelech to do? Uh, Elimelech's neighbors, they stayed put. He didn't have to go. He didn't have to tuck tail and bun hey i'm saying this there's never a good reason to get away from the will of god never a good reason you may justify the reasoning as i'm sure elimelech did i don't know that maybe maybe some neighbors came to elimelech as the u-haul was being loaded up in front of his house and said hey elimelech where are you going he said i'm going to moab man the economy is a lot better there than it is here well uh, have you prayed about it elimelech <laughs> I, you know that's a good question Have you sought the mind of the Lord about it? There's never a good reason. I'm sure Elimelech was able to justify why he did what he did, but the the root of, of the issue is this. What does God want? What does He want? You know, we can justify it all we want to, but just take an honest look at the lives of folks who get out of step with the Word of God. May I say it doesn't go well? The Bible talks about following the faith of those who've gone before us. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. All we need to do is look at examples that we know personally of people who have gotten out of church, gotten out of the will of God, gotten away from the Word of God, gotten away from the convictions of the Word of God. All we need to do is take one good, honest look at their lives, and you know, by and large, it doesn't go well. I don't say that gleefully. I say that, look, we're to learn from others we're to learn from examples that god gave us in the bible when we get away from the will of god things don't go as they should the place of blessing is in the will of god the place of contentment is in the will of god the place of joy is in the will of god the place of safety is in the will of god hey why don't we just understand the place of provision is in the will of god was god not able to take care of elimelech there in bethlehem as he took care of everyone else in bethlehem sure he was you know, at some point, we just got to trust the Lord. At some point, we've got to just say, you know, the same God who saved my never-dying soul from hell, the same God that we talked about this morning, as the just judge of all the universe, who when we trusted Christ was the judge who banged the gavel on the, uh, on the desk in heaven and said he's justified just as if he had never sinned. That same God who's able to do that for me, my friend, is able to provide any need that I have. Why don't we trust him? It's amazing. We can trust God with our never-dying soul, but we have a hard time trusting him for dinner. That's what happened here. The same God that was able to, to take care of Elimelech all the way through life to that point was able to get him through a little famine. He was able to do that. We've got to trust him. Hey, we complicate things way too much when all we need to do is let the Word of God be our basis for how we live. The Bible is our owner's manual for life owner's manual you know owner's manual those that's the things fellows that we ignore whenever we're trying to put something together for our wife (laughs) when all else fails read the instructions remember that one yeah i remember when uh timothy our firstborn came along and we were getting the room all ready for this is you know 22 23 years ago now and and uh she decorated the room all up and went out and bought his uh what would be his crib and, you know, it looks simple enough in the picture. I mean, how hard can it be? It's a crib, for crying out loud. It's a bed for a baby. <coughs> but anyway, uh, so I open the box, and I'm putting, uh, you know, uh, slat A into hole B and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, uh, I don't even know where the directions went to. I don't even think they were included in that. But that's my story. I'm sticking with it. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, <coughs> I wish you'd seen that thing after I got through with it. Then they came home from the hospital, he laughed at it. But anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, after I made a mess of it, uh, I thought, you know what, maybe I should find the instructions somewhere. But that's the way we are, isn't it? Our pride gets in the way of us referencing God's instructions. The Word of God is God's owner's manual for my life. How many times have we as parents thought to ourselves, How come there wasn't an owner's manual that came with this kid? There was. It's called the Word of God. And if we'll just refer to the instructions that God has given us, hey, we'll make our lives far more simple. Number two, what else to do in a famine? First of all, stay in the will of God. What else should I do, uh, preacher? What should be my reaction when the famine comes? Number two, consider your influence on somebody else. Consider your influence on someone else. The Bible says in verse 1 that he, Elimelech, and his wife and his two sons. You see, Elimelech ultimately made the decision, but he wasn't the only one affected by the decision. Elimelech, he, uh, he's the one who said, hey, you know what? economy's bad famines here in the land moabites have ransacked all of our crops we don't have anything to to uh, you know to eat anymore and uh we're out of here we're going to moab wait a minute he should have stopped and given consideration to the fact that it wasn't just a being affected by what he said what he did he had a wife he had two sons Oh, it's so important that we stop and and understand the scope of our influence on other people. You say, oh, preacher, I don't have any influence over anybody. Oh, yes, you do. No man lives to himself. No man dies to himself. Oh, preacher, if I do, look, it's only me who's affected by my decisions. Oh, no, you're wrong on that, my friend. Other people are affected by your decisions. You see, Elimelech's boys didn't have a choice in the matter. They were dependent on their dad's walk with the Lord. That ought to challenge all of us. I'll challenge all of us. What I do affects the life of my wife and the lives of my children. That's, hey, those decisions carry consequences, and those consequences are not just for myself, but for others around me. I'm, sim- I'm simply saying the words that you say and the deeds that you do and the attitude, the attitude that you portray, all of it affects somebody beside you. Well, we ought to be careful. Be careful are we being wise with our influence hey hey dad hey mom when you decide to take a vacation this summer away from the Lord and it's just going to be a a sojourning expedition you don't intend to stay long you don't intend to stray far away from the Lord you intend to be back in the fall you intend to 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 kind of re-up and 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 get involved in the fall uh, when, when the summer's over hey be careful about that decision to vacate from God be careful you're taking somebody with you hey be careful mom and dad because your children though they hear what you say and though they hear the sermons at church and though they hear the, the, uh, the teaching in Sunday school and though they may hear different instruction from the word of God exhortation is a wonderful thing but exhortation does not carry the punch that an example of mom and dad carry I promise you that what you do far outweighs what you say far outweighs what you say You see, talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. All of us, I say say all of us, many of us, we've been in church long enough where we can talk a good game. We can say all the right things. We can say God is good. We can say the Bible's the Word of God. We can say church is where you ought to be. We can say you ought to be faithful. But wait a minute, if how we live doesn't line up with what we say, what we're doing is establishing a pattern that will be followed more likely than not by our kids only to a greater degree. Let me ask you a question. If I leave my kids, if I lead my kids in a direction of unfaithfulness, where does that put my grandkids a generation from now? follow what I'm saying? Where does it put my great-grandchildren two generations from now? They may not even hear the gospel. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Hey, I'm simply saying Elimelech should have stopped to consider the long-range effects of his one decision on those who followed him. Number three, I want you to see this. What should I do? What should be my reaction in the famine? Number three, realize that the famine won't last. Hey, realize that the famine won't last. It'll be over after a while. Look at verse 6 with me. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. By the way, by this time... Uh, Elimelech had passed away in Moab. Malan and Chilean had passed away in Moab. We don't know what the cause of death was. The Bible doesn't tell us. We have no idea whether or not they, they died because of circumstances that were peculiar or specific to Moab. We have no idea. But for whatever reason, they passed away, and now Naomi's by herself with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Notice the second part of verse number 6. For she had heard in the country of Moab... How that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Did you see that? The famine was over. It was over. Now, some ten years after the decision made to go to Moab, now <clears throat> here's Naomi with her daughter-in-law Ruth and her daughter-in-law Orpah, and uh, and she makes uh, Naomi decides, I'm going back to Bethlehem because she would heard that god had given bread to his people she heard the famine was over now listen to me the famine will end eventually whatever it is that you're facing right now <coughs> as the old stoics used to say this too shall pass <laughs> hey it won't last forever you may, you may be in a downturn in your own spiritual life right now, but if you'll stay in the will of God, if you'll stay in church, if you'll stay faithful to the Word of God, even if things aren't going ever all that, the, 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 the way that you think think ought to go right now, I promise you, the famine will be over after a while. Hey, be patient. Let God do His work. And this whole narrative of Ruth is a wonderful story. As I said a while ago, how God took a tragedy and turned it into a triumph. But wait a minute. Sometimes if we would just stay put in the will of God, if we would just consider our decisions and their long-term effect, God would work it out in his time, my friend. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. We live in an instant gratification society, don't we? We think God needs to make it right, and he needs to make it right, right now. (laughs) We think God needs to give perfect justice, and he needs to give perfect justice right now. Because that's how how we've been conditioned. we got instant uh, breakfast, and instant oatmeal, and instant grits, and instant this, and instant that, and we're instant everything. But God doesn't always work instantly. God is working in time. He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Why don't we decide to be patient? Why don't we decide that we're going to stand in the will of God and let God be God and let God bring about victory in the way He wants and in His timing? I'm simply saying, let's make sure that we understand the Moab that uh, the, the famine is going to end. May I say this morning, if you're going through a famine of your own, uh, of your own this morning, stay faithful to the Lord. Stay faithful to the Lord. Psalm chapter 30, verse number 5. For his anger endureth, but a moment in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night. Hey, your famine may be it may be horrible right now. You may be thinking, preacher, I just can't see any way out of this. Whatever it is, maybe it's a famine of your own choosing. Maybe it's a famine of your own sin. Maybe it's a famine of, uh, of something that you didn't ask for, something that just was dumped in your lap and into your life. Hey, I don't know what it is, but stay in the will of God. Consider your own decisions and their consequences on those who follow you. But understand something, the famine will be over if you'll just be right. Just do right you see you may be facing a difficult situation this morning and your faith may be a little shaky but let me encourage you to stay in Bethlehem stay there stay there I don't know how word got back to Naomi but maybe it was maybe it was a family member who was back in Bethlehem and somehow she got a letter to Naomi and said hey boy God's good and man the crops are growing again and, and and there's bread back in the house of bread here in Bethlehem and things are wonderful Naomi wish you were here And Naomi was probably looking at that saying, yeah, I wish I was there too. Let me give you the last thing. I said, number one, if you're going to be in a famine, make sure we react properly by staying in the will of God. Let's make sure we react properly by considering our decisions and their cause and effect on others. And then the last thing, let me show you this, resist the wrong conclusions. This may be one of the most important things I'll say all morning listen very carefully. Look back in your Bible, if you will. Ruth chapter 1, and look with me at verse number 13. Resist the wrong conclusions. Verse 13, Ruth chapter 1. Would ye tarry for them till they were grown? This is Ruth talking to her daughters-in-law. Would ye stay for for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters. Notice, here, here it is. For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Hmm. She's having a conversation with Ruth and Orpah. She said, look, look, girls, now keep in mind, Naomi's husband died. Naomi's son, both of them, Malan and Chilean, they died. One was married to Ruth, one was married to Orpah. And now she's talking to her daughters-in-law, and she's saying to them, I'm going back home to Bethlehem, okay? That's where I belong. And Ruth said, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. Orpah ends up going back to Moab, or staying in Moab. And Naomi is saying, she's talking to them, and in the course of her conversation, she said, she said, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now, wait a minute. Naomi reached the wrong conclusion. The conclusion Naomi reached was, God is against me. Because of the famine, because things aren't going well, because we made a poor choice, God's hand is against me. That, my friend, was the wrong conclusion. See, one of the the mistakes we make when we're going through a famine is we get the wrong idea of God. Well, I messed up. I guess God will never use me again. Wrong conclusion. Wrong conclusion. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be, uh, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's, the wrong conclusion is that God's done with you. I don't care where you are, or who you, uh, where you're at, or who you are this morning. God's not done with you. You may be far away from the Lord. You may be so backslidden away from him. You may have rebelled in your heart against the Lord. But let me tell you something. The fact that you have a breath to breathe says that God is not done with you. Why don't you run back to God this morning as a child of God who's thrown away straight away from him and say, God, may, may I be restored back to my place of fellowship? God, forgive me. I've wronged you. And he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's the wrong conclusion, my friend, for you to say, either out loud or in your heart, God's done with me. Naomi said, God's done with me. God's hand has gone out against me. God's through with me. My life is over. Naomi had no idea how what God was about to do. As you read the rest of the book of Ruth, it was amazing what God did in her life. Amazing. But let's not when when the time of famine comes let's not jump to wrong conclusions by saying that god is through with us because he's not let's not jump to the wrong conclusions by saying or thinking god doesn't love me anymore can i tell you something there's not one thing that you can do that's bad that would cause god to love you any less than he does right now we forget that sometimes and by the way the opposite that's true as well There's not one good thing that you can do to curry more love from God than He loves you right now. Hey, God's love is not contingent on my behavior. Now, God's blessings may be, and and my usefulness to Him may be contingent on on, on where I stand in my fellowship with Him. But look, as far as the, the, the great love of Almighty God is concerned, understand the Bible says that God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet, don't miss this next word, sinners christ died for us god doesn't love you less because of what you've done you may have disappointed him as his child you may have driven a wedge between you and him by your by your rebellion or or whatever it is that you're involved in but let me tell you something there will never be a time when god looks down and says to me i don't love kevin dale anymore that'll never happen but naomi's wrong conclusion said you know what the hand of god has gone out god's against me now no, oh, God wasn't against her. He was getting ready to show her just the opposite. Just the opposite. Look, I'm saying, famine's come to all of us. Elimelech and Naomi, a famine came to Bethlehem, Judah, and they made a poor decision in a time of tragedy. They made a poor decision in a time when they should have they stayed put. How should I react? Hey, that's the question this morning. When, when bad times come in your life, how do you react Stay in the will of God. Stay in the will of God, first and foremost. Number two, don't make a decision that's going to adversely affect those who who look to you for leadership. Number three, realize that the famine is going to be over soon enough. And lastly, don't come to the wrong conclusions about God in your life. He loves you this morning. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. God loves you this morning. Hey, if you're a sinner here this morning, you've never received Jesus Christ, this is all foreign to you. Man, you don't you, you have no idea what you stepped into this morning. Understand, God loves you, oh pastor. You don't know where I've been, what I've done. I I don't, but God does. He still loves you. He still loves you. Oh, pastor. I man, I, I don't know anything about this church stuff. Man, this is this is foreign concept to me. Jesus, look, God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to down a cross. So that you could go to heaven that's how much he loves you would you give your son to die for someone else no i wouldn't i got five kids my wife and i god bless us incredibly with five wonderful children i wouldn't give a one of them to die for anybody but god did that for me he did that for me If you're here this morning as a christian who has backslidden your heart away from god and you say preacher god god could never use me again you don't understand what i've done since i've been away from the lord hey look the same god who saved you is waiting with open arms to welcome you back you say preacher how do i come back if we confess our sins he's faithful you hear that he's faithful now we're not faithful sometimes but he is if we confess our sins he is faithful and just remember that word from sunday school this morning just the just god of all the universe said i pronounce you justified That same just God is just when his children come back to him and say, God, I've blown it! Would you take me back? God said, I thought you'd never ask Of course I'll take you back. When I say take you back, I don't mean you lose your salvation, you get saved again. Take you back into fellowship. Take you back into sweet relationships, sweet communion that you once enjoyed with the Lord. It can be that way again. But don't come to the wrong conclusions about the Lord. All of us are going to face a time of famine. It may be a famine of our own choosing. It may be circumstances that come into our life. It's not what happens to you that you cannot control. It's how you react in those crisis times that either helps you get better for the Lord, or sometimes, if we don't react properly, you get bitter against the Lord. But we don't want that. We don't want that. Naomi came back into Bethlehem. Naomi's name means pleasant. She came back into Bethlehem, and her neighbors gathered and said, Hey, look, Naomi's back. Naomi's back. Naomi's back. And she said, Don't call me Naomi, because she knew what her name meant. Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. She said, Call me Mara. M A R A H. If you transliterate that into English, call me Mara. And that means bitter. Bitter. When bad things happen, us, when the famine times come, how we're, how we react either causes us to be pleasant or causes us to be bitter. Let's make good choices when the famine comes. Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. This morning, there.